Lord, we thank you for that, that amazing love, that love that you displayed in such a way that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Well, when we wanted nothing to do with you, you desired everything to do with us. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame, all for us. Lord, what a beautiful thing to realize that it's a jealous love, that we mean so much to you. Lord, we get lost in that that truth. We thank you for it. Lord, we ask that now as we spend time in your word, that, that your word would penetrate deep, that we would truly become more like you. That's our desire, Lord. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. How you doing? Good. Take out your Bibles, please. It is a Bible study after all. First Samuel chapter 22, as we continue to study the, the life of David, and we continue now again tonight even paralleling the lives as they're put right next to each other as we go through the, the scriptures, the life of David and the life of Saul. We've seen over the last couple of weeks how, how the Lord, after great victory, and David being anointed as king and the, the victory over Goliath and being raised up in the, in the eyes of the people and, and everything, that, that God started taking things away from David, stripping things away from him, including his 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 home, his family, his his wife, his his spiritual leader, his best friend, and even as we saw last week, even his dignity. And as we finished our study last week, we saw that David is now alone in the cave of Adullam, alone with God. And there, God reveals to him that God is all he has, but God is all he needs. And we're going to continue to look now as God continues to develop David's character through these these wilderness times. We're going to see together too, though, as we look at Saul's life, as it continues to spiral downward, as David is a man after God's own heart and how God continues to mold and shape that. Saul is a man after his own selfish heart and, and how he continues to spiral out of control. We see their character. We see characteristics. We're going to see several things that that, uh, that as David's life unfolds before him, as God prepares him for the ministry that he has anointed him for and uniquely called him for, we'll see things that we can expect even in the li- as lives that we live in the ministry that we pursue that God has anointed and called us each individually for. As I mentioned, we touched on it initially a little bit last week as we finished up, but chapter 22, 1 Samuel, begins, So David departed from there, from Gath, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his, all his father's household heard of it, they went down to him there. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. 
We don't know how long this time frame took place, but word got out that, that David was in this area. His family comes to him first. Then men start coming. And we see in this list of these men, these, these guys that are all stressed out, they're in debt, they're discontented, they're, they're, they face the, the, the problems of their lives, the situation, the, 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 the turmoil that they are under, under Saul's reign as king, they're, they're, they're discontented with it. They've, that word discontented there literally means bitter of soul. They realized that all of these other things that are going on in the world and all of these other pursuits have left them empty, have left them bitter and discontent. And they go to David in this place. And it's interesting when we look, on the, look through this and we study the, these men as they continue. These are the, the men that are going to become the core of the, the fighting force of David, this army, the greatest army in the history of Israel. These are the core guys that are coming there. And you'd, you'd, if David was being honest, he'd probably say, these aren't the guys I would have picked, right? I mean, these are, these are the guys that weren't, do, weren't making it other places. These aren't, the, these, these aren't the elite fighting force that I would choose, but these are the ones that God chose. These are the ones that God hand-selected and drew them to David. And we're going to see as we continue to go through this study, they begin to take on the characteristics of David their leader. He is the one that God has anointed to be the leader over them, the captain over them. And they start to take on his characteristics. They, they, they no longer are, are discontent. They're no longer bummed out with their situation in their life. They're no longer in debt. They're freed from all of that as they follow David and they take on the characteristics of their leader. And you can't help but even just reading that verse, everyone who was in distress and in debt and discontented came to him can't help but read that verse and, and hear Jesus saying, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord draws those that are, that are tired from what the, the, chasing after the things of the world, that are, are discontented, become bitter of soul, realizing that there is, there is nothing but emptiness chasing the things of the world and the heaviness of all of that. And he says, Just come to me. I will give you rest. Take my burden upon you. It is light. And as we do that, and as we draw close to the Lord, and as we spend time with him, and as we distance ourselves from all of those things, we take on the characteristics of our Lord. And that is, that is the desire of every one of us. I know it is. That's why we're here tonight. We want to know more of him, and we want to become more and more like him. A beautiful picture of that. It's interesting, too, these men that come, again, not the ones that David would have selected, but I guarantee you, in a year or two from the story, the time frame that we're in in this story now, he wouldn't have traded a single one of them. As they grow together and, and he teaches them and trains them and, and, and raises them up. It's interesting, when you're on top, everybody wants to be close to you, right? But it's those that you can count on that are there with you even through the difficult times and the trials. And, and David has these men here that, again, the Lord brings to him. We're going to see as we look even into some of the Psalms tonight that David wrote during this time, no doubt he used these, these things to teach them and to train them. It says, verse 3, David went up from there to, Miz, to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. 
He wasn't doubting his call, but he didn't know time-wise and different things. He didn't know how it was going to all shake out as far as timing. So he wanted his parents and his family to be taken care of in the meantime. Then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, it's interesting when I, I look at this again, we see more of the character of David. What the word says, you know, the Lord commands, honor your father and your mother. And we'd look at that oftentimes as, as little children obeying your parents when they tell you this. But that's not what honoring your father and your mother completely entails. It, to honor your father and your mother. David takes this upon himself. That was the responsibility of the oldest child. David was the youngest. Yet he said, I will do that. I will honor my parents. I will take care of them. And I also find it interesting because remember back when, when Samuel was coming to anoint one of, one of Jesse's sons? And what Jesse's dad said about David, they went through all of the other sons, and Samuel said, none of these are, none of these are the one. You, you have to have an, at least one more son. And, Sam, and Jesse said, well, we have the runt, you know. <laughs> He's out taking care of the sheep. You can't possibly want him. That's how, that's how David was in his father's eyes. But that didn't, that didn't affect David at all. I don't imagine that he said, what do you think of me now, Dad? Right? He didn't hold anything against him. It wasn't, it was, he had a compassion for his parents, and he wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. So he takes him, interestingly, to the, the king of Moab. Now, that sounds that interestingly at first. However, remember, David's great-grandmother was from Moab, Ruth. So there's no doubt family and connections there. So David takes his, his parents there and leaves them there for, to take care of them, to protect them. Verse 5 the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Gad, a prophet, and he will come circle back through more times as we continue our story. The prophet comes to David and he said, Leave this stronghold. Leave this place where you feel safe right now. And he says, Go back into the wilderness of Judah. Go back to where Saul is. Go back into Israel. Go back, basically, back into the, the danger area. And it says, so David departed and went into the fort. So he did. He was obedient. Saul continually resisted the word from God as it came to him. When it didn't line up with what he thought was best, and, and he, that always seemed to trump the word of God that was coming to Saul, David, even though that, that had to give him a little check in his flesh, wait a second, it's kind of safe here. But to go back there, and it says that he was obedient, and he did. Then Saul, verse 6, heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. No doubt a little nervous when Saul's got a spear in his hand. Don't want to make him upset. Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Here now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give, you, give to you all your fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Saul hearing that David is, is here and now he's going to speak to the men that are around him and he appeals to their flesh. He, gives the, he, he promises them things and he's saying, now can David deliver this for you? Who are you going to be loyal to? Focusing on their fleshly appetites, give, feeding their, their fleshly desires. That's not 
what David appeals to. And again, I'll, I'll refer to Psalm 34. You can re- flip there real quickly. This is a psalm that David wrote during this time. And again, no doubt I believe that, that David used this as training for his followers, the ones that were with him. Saul appear, appeals to the flesh of those following him. David appeals to their spirit, to the, to the Lord. He says, verse 1, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I love that as I've pointed out to you before, and I'll ask the question again. When you magnify something, does it make the object bigger? No. (laughs) The object does not become bigger when you magnify it, right? When you put something under the magnifying glass, it does not become bigger. It becomes bigger to us, but it does not change the size of the object. And so instead of appealing to their flesh, appealing to the things around them, he's appealing them to, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's look at God together. And when we do that, he is magnified. He becomes bigger to us. And when he becomes bigger and the focus is on him, all of the other stuff becomes smaller. Everything else around us loses focus as we focus in on the Lord. That is what David appealed to with those that were following him. Focus on the Lord. Keep our focus on him. He is always faithful. Well, Saul continues, as he's talking to these men around them, around him, for all of you have conspired against me, so there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you who is sorry for me, or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. Amazing how Saul is, is, is come to this, this man, this, this kingly man. He's whining. <laughs> he's, he's obviously extremely paranoid. And then he starts spreading falsehood. Instead of, again, admitting his own sin and coming to grips with his own failures, he's now trying to bring others down, even spreading lies about his own son, that his own son, he's saying, my son has stirred up this servant against me to lie in ambush against me this day. Totally untrue. Verse 9, Then Doeg the Edomite, we met him last week, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. He inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Doeg was the man that was there when, when David went to the priests, and got the bread, if you'll remember, and, and we talked about that last time. David lied. He said that there's this man, I'm on a mission from Saul, do you have anything to eat? And then he got, he got bread and he got the sword of Goliath. We're going to see the, the ramifications of that dishonesty that David used there. But this man, Doeg, was there, and he overheard it. And he now comes and trying to kiss up to King Saul trying to improve his standing in front of the king, though he states truth, he says it in a very dishonest way. And there's an important lesson in that because it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Doeg did not say anything false 
he said he inquired of the Lord for him. He gave him provisions, and he gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Those things are true. But he left out some very important information. The fact that the priest had no idea that David said, I'm here on a mission from Saul. He left all of that information out. If we, it, it, all of that stuff points to this, this. He's a very dishonest man. Some of the facts, not all of them, misleading. We need to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he did not. And the king, Saul, then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's household, the priest who were in Nob, and all of them came to the king. Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub, and he answered, here I am, here I am, my lord. Saul then said to him, why have you, the son of Jesse, conspired against me, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? Again, this whole victim mentality that Saul is playing out, and totally untrue, David's not sitting in, in ambush for him. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all of your servants is as faithful as David? Even the king's son-in-law. He's, he's, he's married to your daughter. Who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house? He's like, I, I, I'm, I'm totally confused. What are you talking about? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? I mean, you've sent him before, obviously, to inquire of me. Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father. For your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. I, I don't know what you're talking about, king. But the king said, you shall surely die. Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also is with David. And because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn around and attack the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priests, and he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword, both men and women and children and infants, also oxen, donkeys, and sheep, he struck with the edge of the sword. I don't know how it could get any worse, any lower for King Saul than this moment here. He's got his paranoia, his, his own self-interest, his own self-preservation, all of this coming against, and he, he, has to, he has to know deep in his very spirit that he's fighting against God, yet that is not enough to even turn him away, and he moves forward with this unbelievable command. Doeg, who's not an Israelite, he's an Edomite, and again, trying to make, make points with the king, kills 85 men, one man. And again, just to think through that process, one at a time he kills these innocent men and then goes and wipes out the entire city. Saul, who was disobedient in doing that to the enemies of the Lord, now does it to the priests of the Lord. How far he has fallen. But one son, verse 20, of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. 
I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, for you are safe with me. Again, just the, the comparing of the two people. Saul, unwilling to admit anything, and David here comes face to face with the, the ramifications of his lie, and he's broken. He's broken, and he, he confesses that that was because of what I said. Now, he's, he's not guilty for the death of these priests, obviously. If he would have, we talked to this last time, if he would have been honest, at least the priests then would have had a decision to make. Am I going to side with David and then go this way or the other? But being dishonest and, and always, 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 if we are not truthful, there are ramifications. And here we see devastating ones. Psalm 52 is written by David, and it says that it's, it's written by David when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why, it says, verse 1, why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Verse 8, David says, But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. David's response again is one of, of repentance, and then he says that he will wait. He's going to wait on what the Lord will do. Chapter 23, verse 1 says, Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kylea and are plundering the threshing floors. So the Philistines now, this Kylea is close to the border where the Philistines are, and their army now is in plundering the threshing floors. So the, the harvest has come in, they're separating the wheat and the chaff, and the Philistines are now coming in and they're plundering. They're taking all of the, all of the harvest, taking all of their food source, taking all of their seed for planting for next year. Bottom line, what that is, is Saul's problem. He's the king. Saul's job is to go and take care of this, but Saul's preoccupied with his own issues. He's not worried about taking care of his real job. He's not worried about taking care of the things that God would want him to do because he's focused on his own self-interests. And, and so David, again, his response says, so David inquired of the Lord. Saul's concerned about Saul. David is concerned about God's people. He goes to, he goes to God. He could have said, again, that's Saul's problem. Or he could have said, all right, here's our chance, guys, and run off. But he does the wise thing. <laughs> he inquires of the Lord. He goes to God and he prays. He inquires of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and deliver Kylea. But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kailea against the ranks of the Philistines? Now again, these are, this is not an elite fighting force yet. These are the guys, that, the bankrupt guys and all of the problem guys. They're, they're still early on in this. And David's saying, the Lord said we're supposed to go up and rescue them against the Philistines. And they're like, wait a second. How are we going to do that? We're, we're scared right now. 
And you're going to call us to go do that. And I so appreciate David's heart in this. He heard clearly from the Lord. And oftentimes, that will be the case, especially as you step out boldly in ministry. If you step out boldly because the Lord speaks to your heart and you share that vision with others, people will question that. It happens, it happens all the time. People will say, well, you can't do that, or we're not ready for that, or different things like that. And you know that you heard from the Lord, and you could pull the, pull the holier-than-thou card or whatever. David didn't say, Where are your, where's your faith, oh, you of little faith? No, he understood their situation. He understood that they hadn't heard that, that this was something that God spoke to him. So his response was, well, okay, let me go and inquire of the Lord again. This doesn't show that David doubted. This just shows, again, his, his heart towards the people that he is raising up. Then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered to him, saying, Arise, go down to Kylea, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. God confirms his word to David. He gives him a promise that he will give them over into his hand. And then verse 5, so David and his men went to Kylea and fought with the Philistines. They were obedient. They followed David, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Kylea. They're rewarded for their obedience. They, they, they take away their livestock. They now have an additional food source and different and things like that. And David delivers them, these people that are there in this situation. Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Kylea, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. So he did come, this, this priest came, the one, that, the one that survived, and he brought an ephod with him. So now David can go to him, and he can inquire of the Lord through him. Verse 7, it says, When it was told Saul that David had come to Kylea, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. Amazing, again, the arrogance. And the fact that Saul still thinks that, things are, are, that the Lord's working on his side. Look, God has delivered David into my hands. Amazing. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Kylea to besiege David and his men. Interesting. When the people were there and having all of their problems with the Philistines, he didn't go. David's there now and he summons all of his men to go take out David. Again, totally, his priorities totally messed up. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Ab Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. So again, David calls out to the Lord. He wants to seek the Lord for direction. He doesn't want to move until God tells him to move and tells him to go. No doubt, because he's learned his lesson. Remember last time we talked last week, he went to Gath. That was, he thought, well, this would be a great idea. I'll run away from Saul. I'll run into Gath, my enemies. Realized then when things are getting out of control and everybody wants to kill him, this was a really bad idea. But he, it, was, it was too late then, and so he had, to, he had to, again, act like a crazy man and get delivered that way and, and got out of there. Now he's learned his lesson. I'm going to check with the Lord before I take a step. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard 
for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Kailea to destroy the city on my account, will the men of Kailea surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kailea surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. These people that David risked his own life and the lives of his own men to go and save, to go and rescue. Again, he didn't have to. That wasn't his job, but God commanded him to do it. He was in, walked in obedience. He went and did that, rescued these people. But now God tells them, they will turn you over. If Saul comes, they'll hand you right over, stab you, <laughs> stab you right in the back. Interesting verse 13, and again we see the character in the heart of David. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed. Now how many of you just, well you don't need to raise your hand, it's just a, just a heart check. How many of you would have said, okay, I'm just going to leave? <laughs> or how many of us honestly in our own hearts would have said, you turncoats, stab me in the back, wipe you out before I leave? But David understood something again, that they're not the enemy. The Philistines are the enemy. These aren't the enemy. These are the people of God. They're human. They make mistakes. And we can all learn a valuable lesson from that because we will all be stabbed in the back. We will all take shots, even from people closest to us. And so often our flesh wants to fight back. Our flesh wants to, to put them in their place. Our flesh wants to put them down. Peter records for us in 1 Peter chapter 2, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Peter reminds us that he was sinless, that he was perfect, that no one ever had a right to do anything against him. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That was David's heart. I'm going to let this, let God take care of this. I'm going to understand that, again, these are, these are children of God. They're, they're, what they're doing is not right. Certainly that they would hand us over, coming against us, but they're God's people. And I need to let God deal with that. I need to fight the Lord's battles and let God fight mine. So often we get worried about fighting our own battles and take our eye off of what God has called us to do David was far more concerned with doing what the Lord desired. So they arose and they left. They went wherever that they would go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kailea, he gave up the pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. I love that, this, 
This verse 14 has in it a couple of different, different things that are, that, are, that are key. First of all, he, he flees into this wilderness of Ziph. If you've ever been to Israel, this is just south of the Dead Sea. So as we're traveling on that day and we go up through by En Gedi and some of those other areas, if you've ever been there, you know how desolate it is. If you've never seen it, Google it later, some pictures of the Dead Sea area. I mean, this is just vast, nothing, not wilderness. And that's where David goes now. That's where he flees into this, this barren wilderness. And it says that Saul sought him every day. Saul was relentless in his pursuit of David. He, his, his, his one mission in life was to eliminate who he, who he thought was his enemy. But God. I love that. Two of my favorite words in all of the Bible. But God. <laughs> but God. If God is for us, who can be against us? What can man do to me? If God is for me, who could be against me but God? And God, again, leads him into this wilderness, desolate, hard. I can't imagine. It's, it's hard enough to spend an afternoon there. <laughs> it's so, it's so why He's going to spend years in this area. No, not, not comfortable, no, by no means plush. God is guiding, though, and he is protecting and he's here because of being obedient. But in this, there's, there's, it's not always comfortable or easy when we're obedient. But Dave Guzik has this comment in his commentary, and I love this. It says, David became a man after God's own heart in the shepherd's field. He became a king in the wilderness. God is using every moment here to prepare him to be the king. He's here again because of his obedience, but God is protecting him and providing for him. He provides for him everything that he needs physically, but then also spiritual and emotionally. Look at verse 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. I love that. Just that simple truth right there, that, that Saul was looking for David every day and couldn't find him. Jonathan, God, you know, he's over here. Jonathan didn't have any problem finding David. And he went to him and he encouraged him in the Lord. He encouraged him in the Lord. Jonathan couldn't bring him anything physically to help in his situation. Jonathan couldn't stay with him and fight with him. He didn't, he didn't have anything physically to bring, but he had everything to bring because he encouraged him in the Lord. So often, so often, people will come to us with their problems and their difficulties and their trials Please don't try to fix them, because we can't. Oftentimes when I, in counseling, when, I, when I ta I'm talking with people and they share me, with me the things that they're going through, I say, I don't have any answers for you, but I know who does. So let's go to him together. Encouraging in the Lord. 
He is the one who has the answers. And David, no doubt in this time, weary and going through this, and at the perfect time, his best friend Jonathan comes along and encourages him. He said to him, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, David. Because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. Because the hand of God is on you. (laughs) And you will be king over Israel. And I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. Now, in this, what he, again, saying, don't fear. Don't fear. It's a great song out right now. It says, we are are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're children of God. And he's saying, David, don't fear. You're a child of God. The anointing of God is on you. And it doesn't matter what my dad has planned. You're going to be king. I will be next to you. Unfortunately, that's more of a statement that I'm willing to be next to you because this is the last time Jonathan and David are going to see each other. I'm going to see in a few chapters that Jonathan is killed in battle. But he says, my, son, my father Saul knows this. It's not like this is anything, but that's why, again, he's, he's, so, he's so hardened his heart against the Lord and against the ways of God, and he's so trying to protect himself that even though he knows it, he's doing everything to fight against it. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house. And again, that's, this is the last time that they'll see each other. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of Hekelah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desires of your soul to do so. And, our, and on our part, we will, shall show you to surrender him into the king's hand. <laughs> so here we see that though Jonathan has his friends, there's also his betrayers. Saul said to them, may you be blessed in the Lord. Wow. <laughs> For you have compassion on me. Again, with Saul, it's all about him. And I wonder, and I have to believe that, again, just like as he said earlier, the Lord has delivered David unto me. Here he's saying, may the Lord bless you because you have done this. He's totally self-deceived. He's believing this whole story. He's, he's bought into this, even though he is completely going against the will of God. Go now, verse 22, make more sure and investigate and see his place where he, his haunt is. And who has, who has seen him there? For I am told that he is very cunning. Here's Saul talking about David, and no doubt has to have respect for David because he's escaped him to this point. He's killed Goliath, all of these other things. But notice he credits David. He's saying David is a cunning person. His, he's crediting David's craftiness. David knows better. Again, another psalm written at this time is Psalm 54, David writes, it says that this is a psalm that David wrote when the Ziphites came and said to Saul, is not David hiding himself among us? And I I like this again because Saul we see is focused on the flesh, focused on own abilities, David's cunning. Again, David's heart is totally different. Verse 1, Psalm 54, save me, O God, by your name. 
and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble. And my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. David didn't for one minute think that he was getting along because of his own cunning or his own ability or his own strengths. He knew it was all because of the Lord. He gave all the glory to God. And I love again how that psalm ends speaking as though it's already happened. I will be delivered. Again, going back to what I shared this weekend, what I, that that phrase I took from the men's retreat, God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. David is saying the same thing. He's always been faithful, and it's him. He will deliver me. Great lesson for us, never to rely on our own cunning, on our own devices, but to always rely on the Lord. Verse 23, so look and learn about the hiding places where he hides himself and return to me with certainty and I will go with you. And if he is, he in, the, if he is in the land, I will search for him out of, of all the thousands of Judah. So let me know where he is. I'll bring in all the forces. Then they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah, in the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and they came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. So we see that, that David obviously has some, some spies, some people that are out there that are feeding his, him information. So he knows now that Saul has, has accumulated this large force. He gives this prayer up to the Lord, and they are trying to get away from Saul. And they come to this, this mountain that we see in verse 26, and it's, it's more of a kind of like the... Uh, half version of the white tanks. This isn't like a Rocky Mountain mountain. This is just a big hill, if you would. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. So you can almost like looking down from on top, David and his men are on this side, and Saul and his men are on this side, and they're kind of running around, you know, kind of trying to catch up and no doubt, probably now saying, okay, let's split up and go this way. And just as they're closing in, and it looks like, okay, it's curtains for David. But, verse 27, a messenger came to Saul. Go figure. Saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. Curses, foiled again. <laughs> I'd have had them if it wasn't for those darn kids, Right? Saul, thinking, here it is. And again, when it seems like it's the most hopeless situation, God is in complete control. This wasn't, this wasn't God was moving this raid from the Philistines. He, he, he calls kings like the waters of the stream. He calls them. He moves, he moves this chess piece now. The Philistines, right there. So the message comes. They get pulled away. God is controlling this entire situation. 
By the way, he does the same with us. His providential hand is on us. We'll be, we'll be amazed one day in heaven when we get to see, we get to see the rewind. <laughs> and we get to see how God in all of these different ways protected us, moved in supernatural ways. Things that we thought were totally out of control. And, and we wonder, man, how did that happen? And we're going to see that God moved this so that that happened, that that happened, boom. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore, they called that place the Rock of Escape. I love that. <laughs> the Rock of Escape. As we talked last week, Jesus is the Rock. <laughs> he is our Rock of Escape. David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. We'll talk about that next week. One of my favorite places to visit in our trips to Israel is the area of En Gedi and the story that takes place there. If you want to read ahead, we'll start there next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example of David, a man after your own heart, but a man that even though was after your own heart, needed shaping and molding as we do. Lord, it's our desire to also chase after your heart, to be like you. Lord, we want to reflect you. And Lord, we know that that takes oftentimes times of great trial and difficulty, times of, of proving. So Lord, we we do humbly say, Lord, have your way in us. Do that work in us. Lord, we know that you are faithful. And though oftentimes the situations are not comfortable, we know that you are in control. Lord, again, our desire is that we would never have a heart that is hardened by our own self-interest, but that it would be a heart focused on your interests, your plans, your purpose. Guide us and lead us in that way, Lord. That we would continually come to you as David did, seeking your voice, seeking your direction, trusting in you every step. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.